The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Leadership today is more than just a position in an organization. It's also a mix of proven practices that produce results. Welcome to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Our program will bring you the how and why of successfully led businesses or organizations with not-for-profit goals and how you can apply the Adesis Methodology and make it work for you. Now, here is Dr. Ishak Adesis. Hello, hello, hello to everybody that's listening to this broadcast, to this weekly broadcast. This is Dr. Ishak Adizas, and this time I'm talking to you from St. Petersburg, Russia, where I'm at the 34th, would you believe it, 34th annual International Adizas Convention. I cannot believe it, it's 34 years of every year having this convention. Tells you how fast time flies. And uh, this time, I've asked a very good friend of mine to be interviewed for the show and to share with you his managerial knowledge and experiences. His name is Ghazi, but I think he should really tell you exactly how to pronounce his name because I have called him Ghazi for the last 10 years. How do you pronounce your full name, Ghazi? Well, hello, everybody, and um, I'm very pleased to say that I was um, I attended the uh, St. Petersburg uh, Convention, which is a great one, and I just flew home today in the morning to Albania from where I'm talking. So my name is Gazmand Hajia, so it's full Gazmand, but people call me Gazi for short, which is G-A-Z-I, and I'm based in Tirana, Albania. And that is the second reason why I selected Ghazi to be on the interview, because he comes from a country that is developing rapidly, developing country, and many, many people don't know about Albania at all. So this will be very exciting to hear about uh, one of the top, top, top entrepreneurs in that country. How is he doing in such a fast-growing, developing country like Albania? So Ghazi, why don't you tell us, first of all, Something about Albania, about the country. Can you tell us the size, population? What, tell us about Albania. Well, Albania is a country in uh, southeastern uh, Europe, in southern part of uh, Europe, and that's uh, part of the Balkans Peninsula, with capital being Tirana. And uh, it's a country with 3.6 million inhabitants and with an area of 28,000 square kilometers. The country shares borders with, um, with uh, Kosovo, with Montenegro, with Macedonia and Greece. This is land borders, and it shares water borders, Adriatic, with Italy, and water borders, which is Ionian, with Greece. It's a developing country, and the population, 3.6 million, is not very fair to Albania, because very often we say, Albania's best export is its people. 
So we have more people living outside the country than inside the country. It's a very developing country with a very young population. It's very entrepreneurial by nature and readily trying to be part of the developing world and ready to catch up with what we have lost during the communist period. And we should talk about this communist period because Albania was a very interesting country where it was ruled by a dictator for 50 years, from the Second World War to 50 years later. And this dictator, for whatever reasons, I think it was mental mostly, was uh, very paranoid and he closed the country totally, totally closed. Nobody could get in, nobody could get out for 50 years and built for every Albanian family a bunker. Can you believe when I was in Albania and was driving down the road, every few meters there would be a bunker for people to go there to (laughs) every family to fight a potential invasion. Uh, What invasion was it? I don't know. But do you, can you tell us something about the time of Enver Hoxha, please, Agazi? Yes, I was born in Albania in 1968. So I was 22 years when Albania opened up. I mean, for many years, we didn't know what life on the other side of the border was like because there was so much paranoia and dogma and indoctrination in the country, which you cannot believe. Apart from this, I mean, still, there was a very good system of values on which we built upon once Albania was opened up. But during the communist time, life was very, very hard. And there is no words to describe what we went through. There was shortages of food, of everything, especially in the last eight years, where we were literally on a ratio of food and everything we were getting. So there was lack of almost everything, but most importantly, there was lack of um, enlightenment and reading material and knowledge about what was happening in the outside world. So there was a lot of built-up pressure inside the regime, and this is why people illegally would watch foreign TV, Italian TV, and they would really see what's happening on the other side of the world. So in a way, this and the minimum exchange of the world really made people feel aware that there's a better world outside there and at the same time, the difficulties which were going to the bone of the people could not continue for longer. So this married together as arguments, together with other factors, and they led the people to, you know, to the revolution in 1990. So there were very few people, very few people, traveling outside the country. And I got my first passport when Albania opened up in 1990, and there were almost no private cars till 1990. So all the new drivers started getting up their licenses 1990 and onwards. So that's roughly the picture of what the country was like till, 90, I mean, till 1990. So which year did you start your business? What year did you start your businesses? Your first business was which year? Well, my first business was um, in 1996. I wow. had returned home from my studies in the United States and had worked with the government for two years. And my family had indirectly started their business by importing whatever they could lay their hands on while in Turkey. So they traveled to Turkey and tried to satisfy whatever need was in the market. So my family's history was that my sister and my brother-in-law traveled to Turkey to buy blankets because they thought blankets and textiles were in need. Uh, 
Then they get a phone call from a friend who said there's a big need for spare parts. So that's how we started the spare parts business in 1996, where they invited me as a partner. And one year later, we just were a little bit visionary at that time, and we applied, we got, we applied, and then we got the license for being the partner of Chevrolet, Opel, Chevrolet, General Motors, Albania. So that's when it started in 1996. Uh, what businesses do you have today? Tell us all the businesses that you're managing and owning today. Well, today I'm active in businesses which span car business and services, tourism and education. So namely, uh, we are the uh, owners and licensees of Avis Rent-A-Car, of Budget Rent-A-Car. We are the representative of General Motors Albania. Then we have the number one and most dynamic tour operator and incoming business into Albania. Then I'm an owner and a founder, together with uh, three other guys, of the most prestigious university in Albania called Polis, where we uh, have graduates in uh, art and design, architecture, urban planning, and environmental studies. And lastly, but not least important, I'm a lecturer in, in leadership and entrepreneurship, but at the same time, it's a consulting business, which I try to do because I enjoy the process. Can you tell us how difficult is it to start businesses in a developing country or how easy it is? What is special about starting businesses in a developing country? Well, I believe that there's a lot of elements which I borrow from um, starting a business or running a business in the States or in Europe, wherever it is in a developed country. But at the same time, there are unique elements to how you start your business. I believe that regardless of where you start a business, one thing which is common worldwide is you really have to read the you have to read the reality and then try to adjust and address it and then start up your business. Um, starting a business in developing country, I think it's um, it's an opportunity first of all because uh, there are smart people, but uh, you know there are a lot of opportunities, especially when you came from communism. You could set up any company and you could become successful if you know how to play the game. So this makes it exciting. The opportunities are not like very limited like somewhere else. On the other side, it's difficult because access to money, access to funds, gaining the trust of your partners was not that easy. So now if you have an established company in the West, gaining the partner's trust is easier than it was in Albania. But at the same time, I use my phrase, how you turn your lemon into a lemonade. I think that's what we did. Because being in a disadvantaged economy like Albania, we tried to impress and gain the trust of our foreign partners because we showed them that we are human beings with dignity and you need to try to trust us. And that's what happened. So now we don't find this problem anymore because Albania now is really mature, is really growing up as a country with a lot of partnerships. And I think we're part of that um, game. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, 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 you say it is, if you know how to play the game, what does that mean? Um, I mean, when I say play the game, it's everybody when he's in business, he has to play the game. And what is the game? It's, um, it's the rules of doing the business, how to conduct the business. So uh, when you're in that country, I mean, like Albania, you really have to know which are the traps you don't have to fall into. That's very important. And what sort of values you want to be known for. 
you leave your values? What are the principles which guide your business, your particular business? And that's it, what makes a difference. Because we had a lot of cases in developing countries where people fall in different traps and people are ready to sacrifice their values and integrity for the very dangerous short-term profit. So that's, I think, what makes us unique, but at the same time it makes us part of the developing world and developed world as long as the game rules are concerned. Uh, Gazi, this is very interesting when you talk about the traps and holding on to your values. Can you give us some example of what are the traps that people, managers in developing or developed countries, not just developing countries, yep. in developed countries, what can we learn from you? What are the traps that you should watch out for? Um, I mean, one thing is um, I had a chance to live somewhere else in the world rather than Albania. So I did my share in Albania for 22 years. So after my graduation from Columbia University, I could have stayed there in New York or served somewhere else in Europe. But I choose to work and stay in Albania because, first of all, I love the country, but I feel a part of personal commitment to that country. I really want to see Albania on the redder map, on the map of the developed countries. And, of course, I'm growing and getting something out of it as well in the process. So when you talk about the traps, I mean, which is not, not only restricted to Balkans or to developing countries, but even to other countries, one of the most uh, spoken about traps is, as I said, the short-term gains. And that is when you have, oh, I mean, all the people uh, coming from poverty, uh, because we know that one thing communism did, it was the equal distribution of poverty, which was when we came out in 1990, almost all the population was the same in terms of wealth value, all the population was the same, even in terms of what they were wearing, because under communism there were very few items on display, and people, in a way, were getting the same things. So the thing is, the start line was almost the same for everybody. The only difference was the people driven by values all their lives and the people who were physically fit and mentally fit for the new game. So I believe in my family, in my network, we were physically fit and we were mentally fit for the new game. So this has been our guiding lines. Now, along the way, there have been a lot of traps. Many of them have been super sweet. And one of the super sweet traps was corruption, where it was very easy, and in the very beginning, it was legally unacceptable, but socially acceptable, where you could make a deal and everybody was a win-win. Oh, we never went by the game. Gazi, stop here. We have to take a break, and we'd like to hear more about those traps. This is very interesting. Go ahead. This is our break. Okay. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Adesis Management Methodology increases the speed at which organizations are able to implement change and solve their problems. The methodology introduces an innovative process, culture, and system that allow organizations to achieve dramatic growth in both revenue and profits. Build your success from within. Adesis Management Methodology is delivered by the Adesis Institute 
with offices worldwide, introducing a new management paradigm. Visit www.adesis.com for the Adesis Institute today. The Adesis Speakers Bureau can present the Adesis methodology and its approach to harnessing the power of change to your top management team. The presentations, either in person or via a live video hookup, can be delivered in a two-, four-, or six-hour format. Participants can derive immediate benefit from the material and put their new knowledge to use right away. For luncheons, corporate retreats, and strategic planning meetings presented in a variety of languages, visit www.adesis.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to yolanda at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Guys, so you were telling us about gra- the traps of going for the short-term gain rather than the long-term gain as a function of the fact that the country was coming out of poverty and everybody was eager to make as much as possible and you avoided it. How did you avoid it? How did you really stick your you know, your nose or your direction, your face, only the long run. How did you do that? But it took a self-discipline or what was it that made you look at the long run and not the short run? Um, well, I mean, Ichik, this is a very interesting question even for myself. Now, when I look back over my life, I see that historically um, I've been a person which uh, have been very much value-centered, and I don't want to overuse the word value, but the word value and integrity are very basic to the makeup of me, of my family, and my network. I remember when I was a tour guide during Communist Albania, there were other tour guides who were working alongside, and this was a selected group of people. I always remember, I always remember I was pretty genuine in what I was saying, which at times could land me in trouble and even in jail, if I was speaking against the regime, but at the same time, with this meager money I was getting, I liked to befriend people, and I'd always buy them a coffee or something. For many of my friends now, who are, li- who are lifelong friends, they, the only thing, well, among the many things, but the first thing which stuck to their mind was, how did you manage to buy us a coffee with this meager amount of money you're getting as a tour guide? I think I've been guided by the principle of give and take, I've been always guided by the principle that, you know, don't be scared to think big because, I mean, big dreams have to really give you sleepless nights. And in a way, I mean, I've always been driven by this thing. Even when I went in 1990 over the border to America, I remember I had a lot of people say, well, you could really, and this was true, I could have worked somewhere, made some more money, and made something different rather than invest in two and a half years of my education in this very expensive education I got at Columbia University and then turn it to myself. So in a way, I've been not an, an, a good fit with the system. 
I mean, I've been really looking forward to uh, really big things, which have always driven my life and things, you know, big challenges ahead. So this is what has been driving me and what has really filtered my decision not to enter into these very, very, very sweet uh, traps. And it has been like a no-no for me. A person like you, a person like you that likes to give so much and is really conscious and is really cares for the country would go for politics. I know that you are an assistant, a special advisor to the head of the parliament, and uh, you were invited to go to government. How come you didn't go to government when you are so concerned about the country and you're such a giving person? Check again, I think that there are different ways and different domains where one can contribute. I think wherever I am, I can contribute to my nation, I can contribute to my country, because whenever I go, I'm considered like Mr. Albanian's coming in many sets, in many circumstances. So even in this way, I think I'm lending Albania big and interesting name. And for this, this is a big burden. But again, when I am very excited by businesses, by entrepreneurialism and initiatives for the next thing. I mean, I'm a serial or a parallel entrepreneur in a way, and this is what keeps me going and excites me. So I had to really look deep into what is my DNA, what is my makeup, what is the criteria, and I found out that this is the thing which excites me. So by being, let's say, a little bit active in this political scene, I'm in a way of advising, and I'm giving my opinion, I'm happy to listen to it. But the most important thing is I realize that I still have a few mountains to climb, which is my personal mountains. And that's why I think at the moment I'm very happy what I'm doing because I'm, like, challenging myself. I'm challenging people. I'm creating a new environment, a new culture in the team. And in a way, all this is done in Albania in cooperation with foreign partners. So in a way, I'm really giving an impact. Does it? Yes. Uh, I... I want to be sure to cover so many questions. So uh, I'm going to stop you from time to time from having long answers. Otherwise, we'll need three broadcasts here. Uh, 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 uh. You were successful. There is no question you were successful with so many companies and you're Mr. Albania in that country. But we also know that in a developing country, it is customary, you know, to to oil the machine, as they say, to put some money under the table to be sure to get ahead when you work with the government. And here you talk about integrity. Thus, I assume that it's your integrity that you will never give any bribes, you will never do that. How do you succeed when you are not part of the value system of the country? Well, one thing is that we don't have to generalize that these are the values of the whole system. I operate here because there are a lot of businesses, a lot of institutions who play it very fair, and uh, which, you know, is um, reducing the, uh, the bad reputation of poverty and corruption of Albania. So, again, this is an opportunity for me because in this sea there, is, there are businesses, there are businessmen who are very correct, who are like full of integrity with a great team and a great culture, and that's what I'm doing. And at the same time, one of the issues of integrity is where you walk your talk. 
And that's, again, what I'm doing. I'm teaching at the master's program here on leadership and entrepreneurship, and I'm setting an example. So by doing this, I'm really preaching what I'm teaching. At the same time, I'm really making an impact, but at the same time being selfish. I'm really learning, and I'm really trying to hire the best people ever so that my team can go to the next challenge. And you cannot feel a person with integrity. You cannot dirt your hands if you are working with a people like this will never, ever, ever accept and play a different game rather than the game of integrity. Uh, Gassi, you have uh, come to uh, these conventions um, in Serbia and now in St. Petersburg. You were even the host of uh, this convention in Tirana a few years back, uh, and you spent money on hosting us in organizing it and providing touring. I mean, you have been generous beyond belief. What is it that attracts you to Odysseus so much? Well, there are two things. I mean, three things. The first thing is the man himself, who is now interviewing me. I mean, you, Ichak, for me, are a light, which is lighting me and, um, you know, leading me in my, uh, you know, in my years, in my challenges. And I'm happy, extremely humbled and honored to have you as my friend and as my mentor. Second is... I find your methodology very interesting, very challenging, but at the same time very down-to-earth, which I think makes a comparison to the, other, um, to the other methodologies around. And the third, I really love the, the quality and the level of the people around. So now they're not only um, technicians. They're people with a heart, which I really enjoy when I am with them. So you know that in two of your conventions, I've come with my whole family, and I really love the experience. So the take-home value I get is really big from coming to your conventions. Is there any concept of the disease methodology that caught your fantasy that you're using in your management practices? Yes. Um, I mean, if uh, you are sitting in one of my meetings, I mean, with my board or my staff, you'll find that I have borrowed a lot of your terminology, especially the bell-shaped thing. This is, for me, something which I keep very, very dear to, I mean, to myself and to the way I lead. So we yes. always You're referring to the life cycle, right? The life cycle of the organization? Exactly. For example, okay. very often we ask for a particular outfit we have. Are we at the go-go stage or at the stable stage? If we fear we're nearing the stable stage, we fear out that we really have to restart the process if we don't want to die. So we don't want to go into aristocracy. I hate it. So this is why we're very careful, and we use it quite a lot, not only me but my team. And um, my team loves to borrow books, especially your books, and the problem I have with them is that they borrow them and they never return, which makes <laughs> me very sad, but, yeah, but very happy probably. at the same time. Because I always get books from you, so I always replenish my stock. Good. Uh, and speaking of uh, that, Ichak, you know that. Speaking of that, you know that I'm a member of a young president organization, the YPO team. And in my forum, they had heard that your methodology was discussed at Harvard Business School in one of the programs. And the guys mentioned your name, and I said, "Well, you know that I know the man himself." Say really, and I say yes. Then I talked to you. He sent me the books. And then when they came to Albania in April 2011, 
as my guest, the biggest present and biggest surprise was a book on, on the bed when they arrived by the man himself. So they started reading it. And as a matter of fact, today, which is, um, I think, the, um, today, which um, the date is, uh, it's 25th, right? Today is the twenty seventh. Sorry, yeah. Today, which is uh, the twenty seventh of uh, of uh, June, uh, it's the first the first assignment from an indigenous associate to one of the YPO members, which I'm aware of. So I'm very glad I brought this marriage along, because Thank I you, think the friend. YPO company will profit from it, and I think your um, your I believe that your um, your associate will feel in the element or in the flow, as they say. I will try to give you a digital methodology to the company. Kazi, if you, you, you told me yesterday that uh, you have closed seven companies. You had 13, you closed seven, and you stayed with six. Can you tell me how, first of all, why did you close them? And two, how difficult was it emotionally, I'm not talking about financially, emotionally to close a company which you started? Um. It's true. I mean, I told you about it, and I hadn't told many people about it because at the very beginning I thought that failing is not a good thing, but I understand failing is the most important thing that somebody has in his life. And when I was speaking your convention, you remember that I said, if I raise my trousers, you'll see there are a lot of scars on my knees. And that's true. So I had to close this seven for a big reason, because I realized that bad projects must go. So uh, they were not justifying the time effort, the investment of my time and efforts of my sweat equity and what my team was doing. So it might be beautiful, but, you know, the project could be bad or timing was not good. One or two of the projects have been historical, and I felt bad about it. But I told to somebody, you can get it if you want. I won't sell it to you. I'll give whatever I have so it can continue. But I don't want to deal with it because I realize my time is very limited. I have exactly 24 hours a day, which I hope all of us have. And what do I do with it is very, very important. So it was not easy to close two of them, but I told myself, you really have to do something with it. You don't have it to bleed. You don't have it to lose money, and we'll feel bad about it. So that's what I did, and I think I feel much different. Wow. Uh, uh, but you said emotionally you could overcome the pain of closing something that you started and admitting your failure. Exactly. I mean, it was not that easy. I had to think about it, and I kept, I kept keeping it afloat for many, many years because I really was not ready to confront the decision because I have grown personally, and now I'm learned, I've learned to confront even bad situations more harder. So when I confront the situation, I say, what are the metrics? which will make me continue with this project. If I find the metrics are not fine, if I find it's too small for me, if I find it doesn't add any value for me, then what's the point in keeping it? And if I go back to their history, some of them were started in some of the most difficult periods in my life when I had almost nothing, and I said, let's try with it. I think it did its circle, and it's exactly like in your methodology in the company life circle. I think it came down, this was the time, you couldn't have it around for many more years. It's time for you to say bye-bye, but in a very gentleman way, and that's the difference. Rather than having it closed or 
you know, having it bankrupt or something like this. I think I closed it with my own desire and in a very gentleman way. I still you know, keep the It's very interesting company. because what you say, because George Soros, one of the richest men on earth, in his book says the following thing. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I just identify my mistakes sooner and correct them sooner. This is very powerful, you know, to most people, oh, by the time they realize it was a mistake, oh, millions of dollars later, and uh, by the time they decide to make a corrective action, again, millions of dollars later, the trick is to have the, pay, the, the, the power, the, 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 the conviction, the strength to say, okay, it was a mistake, and let's move on with life. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Learn about applying the ADESIS methodology in your organization's decision-making process. Our comprehensive training programs include a three-day introduction to the ADESIS methodology, Breakthrough to Prime, and Leading Highly Effective Teams, a detailed seven-day seminar. The seminars are valuable for corporate leaders, key executives, and others involved in the decision-making process. Our trainings are available around the world and in multiple languages. For more information about these and other training programs available, please visit adesis.com. Join the Adesis Graduate School for online master's and Ph.D. programs. Get involved with in-depth research into how change can be managed on many levels across disciplines and cultures worldwide. The clinical programs train practitioners with methods that have been used with exceptional results by certified Adesis associates and clients for decades. Core concepts include the proven Adesis theory and spiral dynamics, an emerging theory of human social evolution. For more information, go to adesisgraduateschool.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to yolanda at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Gazi, one of the things that's very interesting about you as a leader, as a manager, is the fact you have six companies that you're managing, parallel, plus starting another big project, which you told me, of building a marina on the coast of Albania so that big boats can stop on their way between in the Dubrovnik and, and, and Greece. And plus, you are going to... You have so many projects. How do you keep it in balance with your personal life? 
Um, I mean, I mean that's a question which I each I ask myself very often. And um, what I learned to do is um, the first thing in my business life is that um, I try not to micromanage. So um, again, I'm very, I'm trying to do. I mean, be on top of what I need to do and do things which the others cannot do. At the same time, I try to start a new, um, I mean, a new, have a new perspective on how I balance life and, and business. And I realize that time on this earth is very limited, so I try to do the best I have with kids. Now, one thing I do is I combine business trips and pleasure trips. And that's what makes, for example, coming to an indigenous convention, for me, a pleasure rather than a commitment or rather than a duty. Because I learn there, but I make friends. I spend time with my kids, and my kids spend time with other people's kids. So I think we get something more out of it. And this time in St. Petersburg, my wife couldn't join. But normally, as you know, she's part of it, and my kids are part of it. So that's the best part, and I mean, that's the secret about it. I just realize what are the things which I want to do in this life. And then I try not to deal in things where others can do and can be much better than me. And as I said in my previous, uh, I mean, in my previous answers to your questions in this interview, one thing which I've learned is getting people which are better than me, and I'm very happy if they do the work better than I am, and I'm doing things, I'm doing things where I can really do things which feel is gazi-like. So that's what I've realized. But this has been taking me a lot of time to realize and to be aware that that's where I stand. That's the best thing I can get out of life. Have you ever failed? Of course. Many times. You ask me, when was the last time I failed today? And I'll say, this is, I think, two or three hours ago. You know, it's always, I believe it's part, it's part of how you redefine failure. So I redefine failure. It's not like falling on your nose and bleeding. Because failure can have different forms. It comes in different varieties. But the most important thing is how you address it. Or as people say, it's how quick you get up and run. The most important thing is trying to get lesson and learn why you failed. Because if you get nothing out of it, and if you fail again, I think I'd be called a fool. And we are fools many times. But the, pro the issue here is to raise to the challenge and see exactly exactly why I failed and how I can avoid this trap for the other times. Uh, can you give us a, what happened today? This sounds interesting, unless it's secret. <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, I failed. And what, did you learn, and what did you learn from it? Sorry? And what, uh, what did, did you learn from you it? Learn from what did you learn from it? Well, I think I overreacted to an email which I was CC'd, I was not supposed to reply, but I was CC'd and I had to, it's a business uh, email. I was not supposed to, uh, to reply. I just saw it, but then, you know, I got into the shoes of the CEO and uh, I just jumped onto it and I think I overreacted because it was not my responsibility. I didn't let their direct uh, bosses to reply to them. So in a way I evaded them and I just, show, I just told them, I mean, something which was right, but it was not my thing to do because what I learned out of it is um, if I entrust somebody with a duty, with a task, it's good if I respect it up to the end. 
So the moment I, I sent an email, I realized it was not up to me to reply because I saw a reaction from one of my colleagues. And what I did is uh, I said, I deeply apologize. I said, it will not happen again. And I really felt the sort of internalization of this, well, failure. I mean, because I tell myself not to overreact because I love my job very much and my business is like babies. And at times I get pretty emotional. So this is another thing uh, which I'm considering in terms of emotional intelligence, like my maturity, which I believe is getting better each day. But at the same time, I see a lot of things and pitfalls where I fall into. And the thing is, how do I address them? So I believe in the long, I mean, the long run, I'm really getting better in that sense as well. But, you know, that's what I learned today. So next time, I believe I won't do it again. I would like to summarize so far what I have learned from you, Gazi, in this conversation. And I want to highlight it for the audience. Number one is you said at the beginning of this broadcast that you look for the long run, not for the short run. And when a company, country is in the development stages, everybody is crumbling and everybody looks for the short benefits because they're all hungry. You look for the long term. And when I ask you, how do you look for the long term? Your answer was, I look for values. Values of the company, integrity is the most important thing, and that is what I would like to emphasize for the audience. The way you look for the long run is not by doing projections of the market of the long run and profitability of the long run and competitive moves the long run. All of that is daydreaming. The way you work for the long run is by sticking to values, by sticking to values. That will bring you to the long run. Another thing, which we did not really elaborate, but I would like to elaborate for the audience, is when I ask you about failure and uh, how do you get up. You said it, it, it depends how you frame the work failure. If you look at it as an oppor- as a opportunity to learn, and it depends on how fast you get up, then it's really not a failure, but it was a class you took. Well, I would like to elaborate on this a little bit more from what another client of mine has told me many years ago. He actually went bankrupt. He lost all his money on some real estate, bad deals when the real estate was going down. And then he recuperated, and now it's one of the biggest real estate developers in Mexico. And when I asked him, how did you get up? When you fell down, how did you get up? And he told me the following thing I want to share with the audience. There are three assets, three assets which are the most important you should not lose. You can lose money. You can lose your house. But there are three things you should not lose because when you lose lose them, then you lost everything. And what is it? First, your health. Because when people go bankrupt, God forbid, when they really are in trouble, they neglect themselves, they get depressed, God forbid they get suicidal and they're actually destroying their health. Second asset that you have to watch that should not happen is family. When people are in trouble, they start fighting with the family, accusing each other, and the family falls apart. And the third asset is friends. As long as you keep your health intact, 
as long as you keep your family intact, as long as you keep your friends, you will get up. You will get up because you have the asset, the most important assets for survival. When well, you lose the three, then you really lost everything. Yeah, and I mean, it could not resonate better with me, Yitzhak, than what you just said. And I believe this is a very valuable insight for every reader, because that's exactly what I really feel that when I fall, I mean, I have people, I have kids at home which are healthy and nice and beautiful, which make my life a joy. I have a great family and great friends. And I know this is the acid test. They're there for me when I need them, as I'm there for them when they need me. Now, for me, that's very, very important and very crucial. If I can, uh, I mean, just refer to your methodology a little bit, you talk a lot about internal integration and disintegration, and that's correctly what it just captures, that if you fall down, the point is to have a full integrated system and self inside so that you can really bear and address the world outside as an integrated person. If you're disintegrated inside, I mean, there's no way that you can pull your forces and be up for the fight in the outside world. So I think it all plays together, and I think this is what makes life challenging at the end of the day. And, you know, the other, thank you, Gazin. The other thing is I want to underline, I usually like to make a commentary to what the people I interview say, is that you said, I made a mistake, I apologized. Well, I hope the audience heard that, because many people, when they make a mistake, their ego gets in the way, they don't want to admit it, they accuse the other party, they didn't make a mistake, it is the fault of the other party, they don't take responsibility, what does it mean? They're not honest with themselves. And when you're not honest with yourself, you cannot expect other people to be honest with you. When you have no integrity yourself, how do you expect to project integrity on others? And here you see Ghazi says, I made a mistake today, I realized it, I apologize. Wow. You know, guys, success in management, success in leadership is can you get your ego out of the way? Can you be honest? Can you have enough integrity and no fear to deal with mistakes, look them in the eye and admit, I made a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. It is not the mistake. It's how fast do you get up that counts. Let's, guys, take a little break here and we'll come back. Thank you very much. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Dr. Ishak Adesis is one of the leading management experts in the world. He has written 14 books that address the challenges facing top management. Books by Dr. Adesis can be found in 24 languages. They can be purchased at the Adesis store at www.adesis.com or on Amazon.com. Electronic versions are now available for three of the books with more to come. These books reflect over 40 years of study in the fields of management and organizational change. Pick up a copy of one of the books for yourself or as a gift today. 
Top Leaf is a turnkey management development curriculum that consists of a set of 20 to 30 minute videos presented by Dr. Ishak Adesis, creator of the methodology and founder of the Adesis Institute. The Adesis methodology is considered by many to be a solid foundation for all organizational development. The Top Leaf curriculum is made up of three programs. Top Leaf can be used by individuals, by organizations, and by trainers and consultants looking for new content to offer their clients. For more information about Top Leaf, visit www.adesis.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. If you have a question or comment about the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to yolanda at adesis.com, spelled A like America, D like Denmark, I like Israel, Z like in Zambia, E like in Ecuador, and S like Spain. Now, back to the program. Does it emphasize for the audience here? You said you don't micromanage. You surround yourself by people that are better than you. Let me highlight it with somebody else said. What somebody else said is that A managers, top level managers, A level managers, A quality managers, hire A quality subordinates. B quality managers hire C quality managers. So you know the quality of the leadership and the quality of the subordinates. And again, watch it. If you're hiring people better than you, what does it mean? You are moving your ego out of the way. You are moving your ego out of the way. It's okay to have people that are even better than you are so that you can go and focus on other things that they're not focusing. Gazi, where do we go from here? What does your future look like? What are you trying to do? What are your plans? How do you try to achieve them? And what, yeah, and what are your fears? I'm interested to know in your, fe- in your fears. Um, well, as, as concerns <laughs> what lies ahead, I think, um, you know, I call them not battlefields, but I call them mountains because I like the challenge of getting up. And um, I think... I really want to become more international. That's one thing. And I really want to build a really A-plus a plus team, which uh, I think goes back to one thing which we discussed earlier on in this interview, which is being genuine. I believe that I'm a person with, like everybody else, with a limited amount of time in this earth and with limited amount of uh, powers and limited amount of skills. So I believe in complementarity, where people can be better than me in other fields. I think together we bring a synergy together in the game. I learned it from very early on in my life, and I try to play by it because that's the only card I think I can go forward. I think, as I said, one of my main challenges is becoming more international, becoming a little bit um, with a great team ahead, and I think we have a few areas where we'd like to be active and more involved. As concerns my fears for the future, one of the biggest ones is growth, because I think we're growing too quickly, and making sure that we are in tandem or in line 
that our growth goes in line with the people and whether the people are ready for this change or not. So one of the things which is bothering me and all my staff is we really want to communicate the whole message of where you want to go, what you want to do to the whole staff, to the whole people on board, so that they know and they are the ones who sell our services and take our message abroad. That's very, very, very important for us. Doing it is not easy because not everybody's in the same line. So the question is how to address this issue. So we identified it, and now we're addressing it. So now we build an academy internal, the Academy of Leadership, where people now are taking lectures and people are discussing. So we open the borders more for people to discuss, and we really listen to what they say. It's not a pay lip service. We just want to say what bothers you, where do you think we should be, so we try to address it on, I mean, in level where everybody, when they go away, it's not that everybody agrees. It's not that everybody is cleverer, but they are much more informed of our decisions for, the, for what happened and for the future. You told me last time, when I asked you the same question, you had another answer. Your fear is that you're growing so fast, you're getting so busy, that you will not have enough time for your children. Why don't you tell me about that fear? Well, I mean, that's another fear which I keep close to myself because uh, this is something which hangs, which is in my head all the time. And the thing is, uh, the thing is how, uh, how do I, ch I mean, how do I treat it? How do I address it? And uh, I always think highly about it. Because uh, I think that with all the things moving, I mean, uh, the kids are growing and I don't know them very well, which is something which is very painful. Because I identified it, because I live with it, I think I'm now on the positive side where I'm trying to address it. And the way I'm trying to address it is my wife, we're now trying, again, based on your methodology, we are highlighting the agenda and we're trying to get things where we really need to be by our kids. I believe that my wife is very good at it. I'm following suit, and this is one area where I fail more than she does, but I'm learning from her, and I think we're trying to be closer to the kids, and I see the reaction I'm getting from them. The reaction is much, much, much more positive, but that's one of my fears. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying now to address it. I've addressed it. I'm trying to do a working plan, but it's not the issue of doing the working plan. The issue is sticking to it and implementing it, which is the hardest part. So next time when you talk each other, I'll report on my status. <laughs> I have recommended to all my clients, which are entrepreneurial like you, Gazi, the following thing. You see, many times people say, I will plan when I, as soon as I clean up my desk, as soon as I finish with the problems I have. And the answer is, you will never clean up your desk. You will not ever get to the stage where you can say, hey, I finished, I'm clean, now I have time to plan. It should do it upside down. Plan. In other words, you should not wait for the, to have time to plan. You should take the time to plan. Same thing with the family. You cannot say, "I will take the, I will have, when I will get with the family whenever I have time." No, no, no. You have to take the time. You cannot wait for the crumbs to come. And here is how we do that, guys. Open your calendar. I recommend to everybody and block the days that you have, first of all, and above all, for yourself. Days or time for yourself. 
that you are going to go and spend some time with yourself, whether it's meditation, whether it's for a walk, whether it's for exercise, whether it's for reading a book, to listen to music, time for yourself, extremely important. Then block into your calendar time for the family. And I suggest time for the family in totality and the time with the wife or the husband alone and time with every child alone. Because when you do it with the family, it's not the same thing like giving attention to any individuals exclusively. What time is left, now you do the rest. Now that you finish with the I component of PAI, of those of you who know PAI, now you plan your E, time for change, for growth, for development. What are you going to, how much time do you need for change orientation? Block it into your calendar as well. What is left now, you put some time for administration. Block it into your calendar. Put it in the calendar. Those are the days I'm going to spend on administration. And then the rest of the time is for work. Now pay attention that the first priority is integration. Integrating yourself with yourself, with your family. Then comes the next one, which is change orientation, which always gets a short stick because we don't give it enough attention, not enough time. You're too busy doing other things. Administration gets the next step. And then the last one is whatever is left, work. Rather than all the time goes for work, then administration under pressure, the crumbs from change and, 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 and entrepreneurship, and hardly any time for ourselves. Don't fall into the trap. One of my clients fell. Very, very major entrepreneur, built an enormous company. And then he looked at me and he said, you know what, Isaac? All I remember about my children is when they were born and when they were married. I don't remember anything in between. Wow, what a life to live. So you be very careful about that. Kazi, another question, my friend, to you. Yes. You say you're going to go international and you say, I don't know how to go about it. Be very careful because whenever you go international, it is not more of the same. It is not more of the same. Crossing the border is a paradigm shift in your behavior, in your strategy, in your outlook. The same thing is true for a restaurant chain. I know a guy that had one restaurant, and when he opened the second restaurant, he realized it's a different business. <laughs> it's not the same business anymore. <laughs> you are in the chain business. You are not in the restaurant business. The same thing here. When you go from local, countrywide, to international, it's a different business. Now you're dealing with different laws, different different money, different different cultures, different managerial behavior, different reward system. Wow, it is a paradigm shift. Don't assume it's more of the same. And you have to be ready for it emotionally, and you have to be ready for it time-wise. Otherwise, it's going to totally destroy your local operations as you get sucked into international operations. Well, now I have a question to you is, uh, uh, you say that you like the methodology, you're using it for concepts like complementary team, mutual trust and respect, integrity, uh, not micromanaging. How do you choose your people? How do you know who is good, who is bad, before you check them by performance? Because by checking by performance, it's after the fact. How do you know yeah. up front? Yeah. When you look at them, how do you well, know? 
Well, one thing I've learned is uh, I, I trust my guts pretty much because uh, in my life I pass, uh, I live like in a gallery of characters, and I use this, the expression pretty often because I'm a lecturer, I'm a business person, and I just see quite a lot of people, and I have sort of developed a sort of instinct by reading people, seeing the way they behave, the body language, seeing the, you, the words they use, seeing how they react to the whole thing. And I trust, I, I tend to trust people. So, I mean, this is my, my, my belief. But very often, I mean, I've been, um, I've been rewarded by this. In very exceptional cases, I think I've, been, uh, I've had the wrong choices. So the first thing is I read the people like, as, as, as a package. How does this package come across me? If this package comes interesting, then I try to peel it off very interestingly till I come to the bottom of it, to the heart of it. Where is that real person? So this is the way I work about it. And then the moment I see that that real person inside that parcel is the guy I'm looking for, then I give the world to that guy. I trust him. I invest in him or in her. And then this is how then we continue. Okay. Uh, let me uh, underline here something. In order for you to hire good people, it's not enough to give them tests, and psychological tests, and some interviews, you know, by structured interviews. Listen to your gut. Listen to your intuition. For that, you have to trust yourself. And that's extremely important. Before you can trust others, you have to trust yourself. I thank you, Ghazi, very much for taking the time. And I hope, and I know, I just don't hope, I know you will build and you will help Albania to be stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger with people like yourself and the leadership you exhibit. Albania has a big future. Thank you very much for your time and I look forward to seeing you soon and your wife. All the best to your family. Thank you, Ghazi. Well, thank you, Ichak, for giving me the chance. Thanks very much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us this week for Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Please tune in again next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy your weekend and a successful week.